let's take our Bibles here this morning and uh, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 13. 2 Chronicles chapter 13. I want to consider a thought from the Word of God that I hope will be a help uh, to you as we uh, start a new year, but also uh, a thought I hope that can help you any time uh, that maybe you come into a place where we might say you're between a rock and a hard place or you're in a difficult situation or a place of distress and maybe you don't know what to do. And uh, so we're going to consider some thoughts here from 2 Chronicles chapter 13 here uh, this morning as we consider some thoughts on what to do uh, when uh, we are basically in a very difficult situation. And uh, we find you in the Bible in 2 Chronicles chapter 13, the son of uh, Rehoboam is now in a place of leadership. He's in a place of difficulty and distress. And uh, we'll see that in this chapter of the Word of God. And uh, it may be that in some ways we're in a place that uh, there's difficulties both behind us and before us, and uh, we see this in this passage of Scripture. And so I'll, I'll begin by reading here in Second Chronicles chapter 13, verse number 1 through verse number 22. We'll consider the whole chapter this morning, but especially focusing on one particular verse and some thoughts from this passage this morning. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Now in the 18th year of King uh, Jeroboam began Abijah uh, to reign over Judah. And he reigned three years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of uh, Uriel of uh, Gibeah. And there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. And Abijah set the battle in array with an army of valiant men of war, even 400,000 chosen men. Uh, Jeroboam also set the battle in array against him with 800,000 chosen men, being mighty men of valor. And Abijah stood up about Mount uh, Zamarim, uh, which is in Mount Ephraim, and said, Hear me, thou Jeroboam, and all Israel. Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over to Israel, to David forever, even to him and to his sons, by a covenant of salt? Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, is risen up and hath rebelled against his Lord. And there gathered unto him vain men and the children of Belial, and have strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and tender-hearted and could not withstand them. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord and in the hands of the sons of David, and ye have a great multitude, and there are with you golden calves, which Jeroboam made for your gods, uh, for you gods. Uh, have you not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron, and the Levites, and made you priests after the manner of the nations of other lands, so that whosoever cometh to consecrate himself with a young bullock, seven rams, the same may be priest of them that have that are no gods. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests which minister unto the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites wait upon their business, and they burn in the uh, they burn into and they burn unto the Lord, sorry, every morning and every evening burn sacrifice, sweet 
incense, the showbread also, they uh, set they in order upon the pure table and the candlestick of gold uh, with the lamps thereof to burn every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God, uh, of our God, but ye have forsaken him. And behold, God himself is with you, uh, with us for our captain and his priests with sounding of trumpets to alarm against you. O children of Israel, fight ye not against the Lord God of your fathers, for ye shall not prosper. But Jeroboam caused an ambushment to come about behind them. So they were before Judah, and the ambushment was behind them. And when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind. And they cried unto the Lord, and the priests sounded with the trumpets. And the men of Judah gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all, the, all Israel before Abijah and Judah. And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. And Abijah and his people slew them with a great slaughter, so that there fell down slain of Israel 500,000 chosen men. Thus the children of Israel were brought under at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed, because they relied upon the Lord, God of their fathers. And Abijah pursued after Jeroboam and took the cities thereof, and, and Bethel with the towns thereof, and uh, Jeshanah uh, with the towns thereof, and Ephraim with the towns thereof. Neither did Jeroboam recover strength again in the days of Abijah. And the Lord struck him, and he died. But Abijah waxed mighty and married 14 wives and begat uh, 22 sons and 16 daughters. And the rest of the acts of Abijah and his ways and sayings are they not written in the story of the prophet Adidu? I want to look at this morning a thought from the Word of God, and I'd like us to draw our attention to verse number 14 here today, uh, where the Bible says, And when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind. I want to consider here to do what to do when the battle is both before and behind. Let's consider this thought from the Word of God. Father, thank you, Lord, uh, for today. Thank you again for this time. We can look into the Word. We can look back into history. We can look into uh, Abijah and his, and, his, and his army. We can look at Jeroboam and his army. And we see a battle in Sioux in which, again, two people really of the same kind and background to some degree uh, go to war once with each other. And Father, we see again God intervene in this war. We see him do some things that are miraculous and mighty, only things that he could do. And again, as we consider this passage here today, I pray we could uh, consider some thoughts on what to do if there's both a battle before and behind us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I like this passage of scriptures. I, I dare say most people, if you would go out and talk to them publicly, uh, would ever heard of the name of the person Abijah. What, what, if I was to go ask my mom, and I'm not trying to be mean, right? but if I was to ask my mom, who's Abijah? I would guess most of Papa's never heard of Abijah. I, I bet most Americans haven't heard of Abijah. I, I bet a lot of people that go to a, quote, Christian church haven't heard of Abijah. And I'm not here to put him on a platform or a pedestal or anything like that. But what happened in this battle is something that we should all know about historically. 
You know, there are many accounts in the Bible that people know nothing about. They don't know nothing about the creation account. They know nothing about all kinds of different things that happen in the Bible. They may know about Moses and the part in the Red Sea. They may have heard about Noah and the ark. But there's a lot of history that people don't know when it comes to the Word of God. But in this account in the Bible, we find a battle that would ensue between Abijah on one side and Judah, and the other side, Jeroboam, in Israel. And it was a war that took place back a long time ago. The battle was both before and behind, as it's mentioned here. Verse 13 says, But Jeroboam caused an ambushment to come about behind him them, so that they were before Judah, and the ambushment was behind them. Here we find the Bible an account of a battle. Here we find a, a account in the Bible of somebody facing a most difficult situation. We find people cornered, if you would, in trouble, if you would, in a place, again, where no one wants to be, having people maybe trying to, to in this case here, both try to kill you on the front side and on the back side. And you're outnumbered, hugely outnumbered in, the, in this account. If we're going to look at numbers here, we'd say there's, it's done, it's over. You might as well surrender. That's what should happen here. You know, uh, you look at this account, you say, what, what should God's people do? They should basically cower, give up, go to prison, whatever it might be. That's the only thing that they could do or should do. That would be the smart thing to do. That'd be the wise thing to do. But that's not what happened here. Let's consider the numbering in the battle. We see, first of all, the numbering in the battle. Verse number two, it says, And he reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriah, of Gibeah. And there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. And Abijah set the battle in array with the army of valiant men of war, even 400,000 chosen men. That's a lot. 400,000 men. It's a lot of people. But it describes them as valiant men of war. That's a lot of people, and that's a lot of men that can go to war. And so there's a great battle taking place. There are 400,000 on one side. Someone says, boy, that's a lot. Abijah has 400,000 valiant men on one side. But look at verse number 3. It says, and Jeroboam also set the battle in array against him with 800,000 chosen men, being mighty men of valor. I don't know what the difference is, but I know there's a difference in numbers here. We see here in the Bible a battle that's going to take place. A battle between two armies. On one side, Judah. On the other side, Israel. And we see here in the Bible a situation where Judah is outnumbered one to two. Or two to one, however you like to say it. And it's possible that in a battle situation, a person might be in a place where things are two to one. I think about back in the Old Testament how when the spies went into Canaan, there was an outnumbering of two to ten. Two to ten. What do you mean two to ten? I mean, two, two spies had a faith report. Ten spies had a, we, we can't do this report. And so we see here in the Bible a situation where the nature of the battle, Judah faces a situation where one might say they're outnumbered, they cannot win, it's two to one, it's valiant men of war, 400,000, versus mighty men of valor, 800,000. So it's a great 
battlefield. Everybody's in array. But we see the nature of the battle doesn't just stop here. The battle, again, ensues here. We'll look at the details of how Abijah warned Israel concerning this situation. That seems very unusual, doesn't it? He warns Israel concerning this situation. He warns them that they have forsaken God. He warns them that God is on their side. He warns them in this battle. We'll look at that in just a little bit. But we want to look at the nature of the battle. The battle is before and behind. They are outnumbered. But notice also in verse number 13, it says this. It says, but Jeroboam caused an ambushment to come about behind them. So they were before Judah, and the ambushment was behind them. So you have people in front of you that you know are there, you know where they're at, etc. But you also find here in the Bible, it describes this battle having an ambushment taking place. This is a, an ambushment is a concealed attack or surprise attack that would take place. And I believe in battles sometimes they come as a surprise. They're hidden. They're concealed. It may be that you face or I face, like these guys face, a, a battle where people are both outnumbering us and are seeking to surprise us in a concealed manner. Abijah was a leader of God's people. We see that in verse number four. Let's read on here. It says, And Abijah stood up before Mount uh, Zemarim, which is in Mount Ephraim, and said, Hear me, Thou, Jeroboam, and all Israel. So who's this addressed to? It's addressed to the enemies. I tell you to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over to Israel, to David forever, even to him and to his sons by a covenant of assault. Yea, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, is risen up and hath rebelled against his Lord. And there were gathered unto him vain men, the men, uh, children of Belial, and have strengthened themselves against uh, Rehoboam, uh, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and tenderhearted and could not withstand them. And now you think to, do, uh, think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David, and you, you, you'll be a great multitude, and there are with you golden calves, which Jeroboam made for your gods. Now all, all Abijah is doing is just laying out the facts. The facts are we are the people of God. He's laying out the facts that uh, uh, Rehoboam there was young and tenderhearted. He's talking about his father. He couldn't withstand you. And so he didn't seek to fight you. And he was told not to do that. If you go back to, uh, I believe it's, I uh, can't remember exactly where it's at right now. But anyways, you, 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 you can see in the Bible there, there's, he's just laying out the facts. He's saying that, you know, the kingdom of the Lord is with the sons of David. He's laying out there in the Bible that you cannot withstand the kingdom of the Lord. In verse number 8, and, and now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord. And, and so he's laying out the facts that you, you're on the wrong side here. You're on the, you're on the you're on a side that you're going to lose from. And someone might say, well, Abijah's just full of pride. He's again a leader who's again just spouting off. And, and one might say that maybe from this account. But you see in this count a faith account. Abijah is going to be just expressing both facts and faith. We see as we read on here, it says there, 
Have you not cast out the priests, O Lord, the sons of Aaron, the Levites, and made you priests after the manner of the nations of other lands, so that whosoever cometh to consecrate himself with a young bullock and seven rams, the same may be priest of them that are no gods. He's just saying, hey, you guys have really turned here. You're really in a bad position here. You've left behind God's ways of worship and uh, gone about to a different kind of worship there. Verse number 10, it says, but for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests which minister unto the Lord are the sons of Aaron and Levites wait upon their business. And they burn unto the Lord every morning and every evening, burnt sacrifice and sweet incense and the showbread also set they in order upon the pure table and the candlestick of gold with the lamps thereof to burn every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but ye have forsaken them. And behold, God himself is with us for our captain and his priest with the sounding of trumpets to cry alarm against you. O children of Israel, fight ye not against the Lord, God of your fathers, for ye shall not prosper. Here, battle set in array. And Abijah says, you're not going to prosper fighting against us. We see here in the Bible, Judah on one side, Israel on the other. We see Judah on the side of God and on, on the side of truth and on the side of worship and the side of sacrificing and serving God and Doing those things according to the Bible. God is with us, he says. We're following him. You have forsaken him. We're sacrificing to God. You're sacrificing to idols. You're on the wrong side of this. And Abijah, as a bold leader and also as a faith leader, says here in, in verse number 11, for we keep the charge of, last part of 11, we keep the charge of the Lord of God, but you have forsaken him, and behold, God himself is with us for our captain. And then it says this, And the priests, with the sound of trumpets, to cry alarm against you. O children of Israel, fight ye not against the Lord, God of your fathers, for ye shall not prosper. He tells them that God is not on their side. They're not going to prosper. Abijah, as a bold leader, basically tells them ahead of time, to not do this, to not be involved with this. It also mentions the sounding of trumpets here, and we'll look at that here in just a little bit here. But he tells them that he's gonna, they're gonna, the priests are gonna be sounding trumpets to cry alarm against you. They're gonna cry alarm against you. But notice what happens here is, but Jeroboam caused an ambushment to come about behind them so that they were before Judah and the ambushments were behind them. So as he's making this speech, what's happening there is people, the devil's side, the idolater's side, are seeking to war by an ambushment. And so some might say, well, that's a good chance they can win it here. But notice what happens as far as Judah's concerned. It says that when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind them. They cried on the Lord. And the priests sounded with the trumpets. They cried on the Lord. With the battle before and behind them, what did they do? They go right in engaging the enemy? I mean, the ambushment's happening behind them and before them. What do they do in that situation? The Bible says there they sounded the trumpets. 
They sounded the trumpets and they cried on the Lord. We see two things they used in battle that are unusual maybe to use in battle, but the Bible says here they used both trumpets and they turned to the Lord and they cried to the Lord. Why did they cry to the Lord? Because Abijah said, God is their captain. Why did they turn to the Lord? Because their trust was in the Lord, not in idols or other things. Why did they turn to the Lord? Because that's what the Bible says they should do. With the sounding of trumpets. Let's turn back to Numbers chapter 10. This is, I believe, an exciting account in the Bible. As we see, again, God's people do something that we don't see them often do throughout the history of the Bible. In fact, I don't know that I can turn to a lot of passages that you see them turn to the Lord, cry to the Lord, and you see the sounding of trumpets. But we do see that both here and in another account in the Bible. And I want to point that out here this morning. Numbers chapter 10, let's turn there. What were trumpets used for? Well, we see here in Numbers chapter 10 that two silver trumpets were supposed to be used for two different things and two different major things in the Bible. Um, that's actually a few more things, but we, uh, just major things that I want to consider here in the Bible. But the two trumpets that were created for both assembly and for battle. Uh, notice in Numbers chapter 10, verse number 1, it says, The Lord spake unto Moses, Make the two trumpets of silver, of a whole piece shalt thou make them, and uh, that they may use them for the calling of assembly and for the journeying of the camps. And when you blow them, all the assembly shall assemble herself to thee at the tabernacle of the congregation. If you blow uh, but one trumpet, then the princes, which head the, uh, the heads of the uh, thousands of men, shall gather themselves together. But uh, ye blow the alarm when the camps that lie on the eastward part go forward. Then blow ye the alarm for the second time, and the camps that lie in the south shall make their journey, and they shall blow the alarm for their journeys." But when the congregation is gathered together, you shall blow, but ye shall not sound the alarm. And the sons of Aaron and the priest shall blow with the trumpets, and they shall be for your ordinance forever throughout your generation. And here's the second use it's for assembly and going on a journey and things along that line to keep order. If you go to war in the land against the enemy that oppresses you, then you shall blow the alarm with the trumpets, and ye shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and ye shall be saved from your enemies. Also in the day of your gladness and in your solemn days and in the beginning of your months, you shall blow with the trumpet over the burnt offering and over the sacrifices of the peace offering, that it may be a memorial for uh, your God, and I am the Lord your God. Anyways, just want to point out here, especially here this morning, if you go to war in a land against your enemy that oppresses you, then you should blow the alarm with the trumpets. Blow the alarm with your trumpets. Why? Because you're telling God's coming. God's going to fight this battle. Your enemies, the Bible says, it says there, before the Lord your God, you shall be saved from your enemies. Trumpets. Abijah says we're going to blow trumpets. The priests are going to blow trumpets. These trumpets are going to sound an alarm for you that God is on our side and you will be defeated. Not necessarily by our might or our power, but God will make a way for us to defeat you. We see the blowing of silver trumpets to be used, two silver trumpets to be used in battle. I think it's interesting. 
I think it's neat. I think it's worth, you know, it, it shouldn't be a little bit a part of the history that we have in churches to understand this blowing of trumpets, that God comes to the side of God's people in the blowing of trumpets, at least in Old Testament times. This was a promise here given to us here and to God's people in Numbers chapter 10 to the children of Israel, blow the trumpets, both for advancement, both for assembly, but also in battle so that God be there present with you to win the battle for you. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 31. Did the priest ever use this in battle? Did they ever use this means of battle? Had, had anybody used a battle, uh, battle too of trusting the Lord in these trumpets? Well, let's turn to Numbers chapter 31. We do see this take place here in Numbers chapter 31. The exact details how it took place, I cannot know, but I see what the Bible does show us here, and it talks about the use of trumpets here in battle. Numbers chapter 31, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Avenge the children of Israel of the Midianites. Afterward shall they, thou be gathered unto thy people. And Moses spake unto the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves unto war, and let them go against the Midianites, and avenge the Lord, uh, the Lord of Midian. Of the, every tribe of a thousand throughout all the tribes of Israel shall you send to the war. Uh, so there were delivered out thousands of Israel, a thousand of every tribe, and, and 12,000 armed for war. Now this is smaller. But notice what happens here. It says, And Moses sent them to war, and a thousand of every tribe, them and Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, to the war, with the holy instrument, instruments, the trumpets, to blow in his hand. Eliezer goes to war, not necessarily with sword and spear, but here with trumpets. In verse 7, And they warred against the Midianites, and the Lord commanded Moses, and they slew all the males. And they slew the kings of the Midianites, besides the rest that were slain, namely, gives the names of them, and also mentions Balaam at the end of there. Uh, Balaam, also the son of Beor, was slew with the sword. But you find, as we look at this passage of Scripture, that we see God's people go to war uh, with trumpets and with trusting in the Lord and crying out to the Lord. Let's turn back to our text there in 2 Chronicles chapter 13. A battle takes place. Ambush, an ambushment takes place. Israel ambushes Judah. Well, Judah and their leader cries, uh, talks to them about not going to war with them. And if they would go to war with them, there would be uh, problems here, etc. here. And so we find here in the Baijah, in battle, we find here Jeroboam in battle, and the battle of Sederay. It mentions there in verse number 3 and 4. And uh, let's pick up there, if we could, in verse number 15. Just want to, let me go ahead and read verse 14 again. It says, when Judah looked back, Behold, the battle was before and behind. They cried on the Lord, and the priests sounded with the trumpets. Then it says, verse 15, Then the men of Judah gave a shout. As the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. What do we see here in the Bible? We see God go to war against those who had set themselves against Judah. Judah shouted, the Bible says there. Judah gave a shout. 
that God smote. There are other accounts in the Bible similar to this, but I'm not going to turn there today. Notice what happened there, verse number 16. It says, And the children of Israel fled from Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. And Abijah and his people slew them with a great slaughter, so there fell slain of Israel 500,000 chosen men. You know, most Christians never heard of this battle. But a half a million people died in this battle. 500,000 chosen men. God delivered. The enemy was slaughtered. And it goes on and says why this happened. It says, thus the children of Israel were brought under at that time. And the children of Judah prevailed because they relied upon the Lord God of their fathers. Why did Judah win? Not because they were stronger, not because they were better, not because they were bigger, but where their trust was. They turned to the trumpets. They turned to relying on God. They turned to crying to God, asking God for help in the situation. With the battle before and behind you, it would be good for us to turn to the Lord and keep doing the things that the Lord would have us to do. This is exactly what Abijah had Judah's people doing. They didn't stop because the battle was arrayed, sacrificing. They didn't stop worshiping God. They didn't stop doing things contrary to the word of God. They just kept doing what they were supposed to be doing. Let's turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Question must be uh, given out there to, to some out there. What, what should we do with a battle both before us and behind us? Should we cower? Should we give up? Should we give in? No, we should turn to the Lord. In the battle? Not even in the battle. We should keep our still our focus on the Lord. I want to read this here in Deuteronomy chapter 20 because it reinforces what's in Numbers chapter 10. It's important that in crises that God's people turn to the Lord and seek the Lord and call for the Lord to help in difficult times. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1, it says, And when thou goest to the battle against thy enemies and seest horses and chariots and a people more than thou, it's exactly what took place, more than them, be not afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with thee, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be, when ye come nigh to the battle, the priest shall be approached and speak unto the people, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day to the battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts be faint, fear not, nor tremble, neither be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth before you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. See here, the Bible promises to God's people that the Lord God is one that goes before them to fight for them against their enemies and to save or deliver them. But the battle before and behind, we see here in this account in the Bible that God gives a great victory to those who trust in the Lord and those also that followed what the Bible told them to do. Numbers 10 says, hey, blow those trumpets and God will defeat the enemy and you will be saved in battle. 
Again, in situations where you see a person outnumbered, Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter 20, even a place that you're outnumbered, God will take care of you. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14. Accounts of people trusting the Lord are found throughout the Bible and trusting in God and God coming along and delivering them and helping them. Even though people are numbered, the answer is simple, really, when it comes to battles and engagements or times of difficulties and times of distress is to turn to the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 14 here, uh, beginning in verse number 1, we talk about being in a rock, between a rock and a hard place. Well, that's kind of the description here of what happened with Jonathan here in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Let's read through uh, this account, at least parts of this account here uh, this morning also. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse number 1, it says, Now it came to pass upon the day that Jonathan the son of Saul said to the young man that, were, that bear honor, Come and let us go over to the Philistine garrisons that is on the other side. But he told not his father. And Saul carried, uh, tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeon under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And, and the people that were with him were 600 men. And uh, Ahiah the son of Ithapub, uh, Ithotub, sorry, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest, and Shiloh wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passage by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, uh, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other. And the name of the one was uh, uh, Bozaz, and the other was Sina. And the forefront was the situation northward over against Mishmash and on the other side over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bears arm, his armor, come and let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. And it may be that the Lord will work for us, for there's no restraint for the Lord to save by many or few. And his armor bearer said unto him, do all that is in thy heart. Uh, turn thee, uh, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we'll pass over these men and we'll discover ourselves. If they shall say unto us, Tarry until uh, we come to you, then we will still stand still in our place and will not go up to them. But if they say, Come unto us, then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them unto our hand, and this shall be a sign to us. And both of them discovered themselves against the garrisons of the Philistines. And the Philistines says, Behold, the Hebrews come up out of their holes where they have hid themselves. And the men of the garrisons answered Jonathan and his armor bearer said, Come unto us, and we shall show thee a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and upon his feet, and his armor bearer after him, and they fell. Before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after them. And the first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was twenty men, within, as it were, half an acre, which is a yoke of oxen to plow and there was a trembling in the host in the field among all the people in the garrisons and the spores and they trembled and the earthquake and there was a great trembling it goes on from there but we see here in the bible jonathan and his armor bearer outnumbered two to twenty it would take an act of faith on jonathan's part there to go into battle and he made this comment or he made this suggestion to God if, if they called to us and suggested to his armor if they called to us and said come up to us then we know by faith we can overcome them 
So Jonathan faced his enemies with his armor bearer, and they did so with faith in God, trusting God, knowing that God would help them in this battle. Before and behind, before in this account, was the enemy. Around him were sharp rocks on one side and sharp rocks on the other. It might seem that, again, there's no way that they can overcome the enemy, but yet they did overcome them because they were in a situation that they were trusting and relying on God. I just want to go back to 1 Kings chapter 15. I do this because I want you to see maybe a little more about Abijah. I do this just to, maybe just to, you know, I do this, I guess, just to kind of give you more information on this, this guy because some must say, well, Abijah must be one of the great heroes of the Bible who did everything right, was like David has said, we just never heard about him before, or maybe we've heard about him before, or maybe we haven't heard much about him before. But I want you to notice here in 1 Kings chapter 15, he wasn't a perfect guy. He was far from being a perfect individual. In fact, 1 Kings says this about him. Let's just read the whole account. It's only seven verses. 1 Kings chapter 15, verse number 1, it says, Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, reigned Abijam over Judah. Three years reigned he over Jerusalem. His mother's name was Mekah, the, the daughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. Nevertheless, for David's sake, did the Lord his God give him a lamp in Jerusalem to set up his sons after him and establish Jerusalem. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded all the days of his life, save only in the matter of uh, Uriah the Hittite. And there was war between Jeroboam, uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. Now the acts of Abijah and all that he did, they are not written in the books of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah, and there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. And Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and Esau, his son, reigned in his stead. Now someone says, well, what are you doing? You're trying to paint Abijah's not being the best of men. He's not. He's not on the plane of David. I'm not trying to say David is above him, but this account is basically saying that. It's saying that Abijah had some issues. It doesn't address what his issues were, but it does say this, not in this account here. It says, he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. Now, someone says, well, he's a bad man. No, he's not a bad man. He's just maybe not in some ways, maybe the best of the king's. Not because he didn't side with God, not because he didn't trust with, in God, not that because he, he wanted uh, God's people to do what they were supposed to do or worship like they should or all those kind of things, but there was something that he did that his father did, and it's not addressed here in the Bible. I'm not going to try to discover what it might be. You could go maybe and try to find out what was the flaw of Rehoboam. And uh, maybe you could say that's the sins that it's talking about here. But it mentions he walked in the sins of his father. The question might be, if you're before and behind in battle, but you're not maybe the perfect kind of person, will God come along and help you? Yes. Yes. 
Someone says, well, if he was someone who wasn't at the level of David, would David, David uh, I mean, should, should God come along and help him? Well, there's grace and mercy with God. Let's turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 5. There's grace and mercy with God. There's help in need with God. I mean, you think about what happened there. I, I think it's a wonderful story. I mean, it's great to see Phineas there back in Numbers chapter uh, 31 use a trumpet in battle. But it's wonderful to see Rehoboam, whose father again divided, uh, I mean, son of Rehoboam, who divided the kingdom after he had divided the kingdom. His son comes along, and he takes a place of leadership, and he's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but when it comes to this place of battle, when they see Israel again fighting them from before and behind, we see him in a position where he calls to the Lord, he cries out the Lord as well as Judah, and they sound the trumpets, and God, as their captain, destroys many of their enemy. 500,000. That's a lot of casualties when you come 800,000. 800,000, 500,000, that's over half of their mighty men died. Sad day if some of those men were known of the men of Judah. Let's turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 5. It's important that in difficult situations and situations that may be hard for anyone that we look to the Lord, especially in those times. Maybe a tragedy takes place in someone's life and then maybe something else takes place in their life and then something else seems to take place in their life and there's all kinds of things going array before and behind. We need to turn to the Lord at those times. First Chronicles chapter 5 and verse number 18. I draw your attention here because the the thing that made God's people in the Old Testament really different in some ways, I know they went through times of cycling between idolatry and trusting the Lord and doing the things which are right in the sight of the Lord, etc. But uh, you find here in 1 Chronicles chapter 5 another account where God's people go to war and God's there to help them again. I just want to point this out again here. 1 Chronicles chapter, 5, uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 5, sorry, uh, verse number 18. The sons of Reuben, the Gadites, a half-tribe of Manasseh, of valiant men, able to bear buckler and sword, to shoot with the bow, and skillful in war, were 144,703 score that went out to war. And they made war with the Hagarites, with the uh, Jether, and with Nephish, uh, and Nodab. And they were helped against them, and the Hagarites were delivered into their hand, and all that were with them. For they cried to God in the battle, and he entreated them, because they put their trust in him. And they took away, it mentions all those kind of things, they took away the camels, the 50,000, and uh, sheep, 100,000, and asses, the 2,000, and men, 100,000. And there fell down many slain, because the war was of God, and he dwelt in their steads up to the captivity. See here in the Bible again, God come along and help God's people again. 
This is a repeated story over and over in the Bible. And uh, just pointing out Abijah's case, I believe, is a good thing. Let's turn back there if you would. Abijah's case and Judah's case, when Israel came there to ambush them and destroy them, we find here in the Bible, God deliver them. Second Chronicles chapter 13, verse number 16, it says, The children of Israel fled from Judah. God delivered them into their hand. Why did God deliver them into their hand? Because they trusted in him. Verse number 14, the Bible says, They looked back, and the battle was before and behind. They cried to the Lord, and the priests sounded their trumpets. Priests sounded their trumpets. Greater number didn't matter in this situation. What happens, again, if someone trusts in the Lord? Well, God comes to their help and comes to their uh, place or situation there. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 62. Does, I just want to mention this. Does God always come the way we want him to come? In a sense, I mean, you think about the ambushment or the battle in a sense before and behind with Stephen there. He was stoned to death. But yet you find God take him to heaven at that point in his life as he commends his spirit to God. And he trusts in the Lord at the time in the New Testament. Psalm chapter 62, verse 5 through 7, it says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation, my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before us. God is a refuge for us. They cried to God in the battle. We don't see the words that they used in battle and what they said in battle, but they cried to the Lord in battle. And Israel heard this, and God defeated their enemy. Where can we put our trust? Let's turn to Psalm chapter 20. I just want to mention a few things here. Where can we put our trust when it comes to uh, situations where maybe we're before and behind? Where can we put our trust? Well, Psalm chapter 20, verse number 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we remember the name of the Lord our God. Uh, where can we put our trust? We can put our trust in our military. Greatest military in the world, some might say, for America. Some might boast in the military and say, you know, we trust in our chariots, we trust in our horses. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 11. Some will do this, and some, some say that's, you know, that's, that's a good thing to put our trust in, but it's not. It, it's better to trust in the Lord, but we will trust in the Lord. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse number 28 Bible says, he that trusts in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a glance. Some will trust in money or riches, and they will fall, the Bible says. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 28. Some people might uh, trust in their military. Some people might trust in their money. Some people will trust in themselves. Proverbs chapter 28, verse number 26, it says, he that trusts in his own heart is a fool. But whosoever walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Not trust in your own self. That's foolish. The only person that's worthy, really, of trust is God. 
We can trust in ourselves. We can trust in our money. We can trust in our government. We can trust in a military. But our trust should be in God. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 48. Jeremiah chapter 48. I'm not saying this will take place, but it's possible that if we don't trust in the right thing, that we could end up as a casualty. Notice here in Jeremiah chapter 48. And uh, verse number 7, Jeremiah chapter 48, verse number 7. For because they trusted in their works and in their treasures, thou shalt also be taken as Chemosh shall go forth into their captivity with the priest and the princes together. Because they trusted in what? They trusted in their, their, their treasuries. They trusted in their works. They trusted in their power. They trusted in their might. The Bible says they went into captivity. If we trust in the wrong things, just as Israel was trusting their idols, carrying around their idols, they had their gods with them. But Judah had their silver trumpets. And they had the priests with them. And they had God with them. What position are you in better shape with? Let's turn back to 2 Chronicles chapter 13. You're in better shape trusting in God. Verse number 14, it says, And when Judah looked before, uh, looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind, and they cried unto the Lord, and the priests sounded the trumpets, and the men of Judah gave a shout. As the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah. And the children of Israel fled, with Judah, uh, fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. And Abijah is... And his people slew with a great slaughter, so that fell down slain of Israel 500,000 chosen men. Thus the children of Israel were brought under at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. What to do when a battle is before and behind us? Certainly need to trust in the Lord. I want us to turn to one more passage here in Zechariah before we close here this morning. Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. Now I'm just going to bring you to Zechariah chapter 14 to just show you that both in the past, and I believe both now and also in the future, I believe that God will come to the assistance of God's people in times where we're cornered, so to speak, where the battles will be before us and behind us. Uh, we see this, I believe, in the case of Zechariah chapter 14 and verse number 1 through verse number 9. I'd just like to look at this. This is a prophetic passage dealing with Israel, dealing with Jerusalem, which still exists today and will exist until the coming of the Lord and will exist as long as we, we see there as far as Bible history uh, Zechariah chapter 14, verse number 1, is, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and the spoils to be divided in the midst of thee. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth in the captivity, and resident of people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. 
and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall be removed from the north and half toward the south. And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, the valley of the mountains to reach to Aziel. Yea, you shall flee like unto you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, uh, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known of the Lord, not, nor, uh, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that in the evening it shall be light. And it shall be in that day that the living water shall go out of Jerusalem, half of them towards the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. And in the summer and the winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord in his name, one. Verse number 12. And it says, And this shall be the plague which the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and the tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Who's going to win the, this battle here in Zechariah when people come against Jerusalem? God will. God will take care of the enemies of Jerusalem. A day of battle. Again, we find here in the Bible, Abijah turned to the Lord. The battle is before us and behind us, and he cried to the Lord. They sound the trumpets, and God delivered them. 400,000 men in battle, 500,000 the enemy died, 300,000 left. God certainly destroyed a lot of people at that time. What should we do if there's a battle both before us and behind us? It doesn't have to be a battle like this. It might just be a spiritual battle we're going through. We need to trust to the Lord and turn to the Lord. Let's close as we consider the word of God this morning.